0: Hello and welcome into this episode of the Esports Network Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Reams, and on this show, we're going to be talking to Envy Gaming CEO, Adam Reimer. I've only done this once before, but for this show, I have to record a prelude. If you're a Call of Duty fan, you probably know why. I talked with Adam last Thursday, before champs, and well, a lot has changed. First off, Envy's Call of Duty team, the Dallas Empire, won Call of Duty champs. An absolutely dominant performance saw the longtime Call of Duty franchise win a ring, a massive prize, and a pretty insane throne like thing that is surely going to sit in Hashro's office for quite a long time. After going down to phase 2 1 in the first semifinal, the Empire won the last two maps to reach the final. Then, after phase beat the fan favorite Huntsman to set up a rematch in the finals, we looked like we were in for a hard fought, ultra long series. Uh, Then the Empire won the first four maps in absolutely dominating fashion, dropped one before winning the fifth, and championship-deciding match in the sixth. This was such an awesome moment. The broadcast peaked at 330,000 viewers, a record for all of Call of Duty Esports over 10-year history, not just for the CDL. Activision Blizzard couldn't have picked a more beloved champs weekend with Envy, the Huntsman backed by Energy and Hex, and Atlanta Faze all competing. Those are three of the four fan-favorite teams, no doubt about it. The Empire roster that won the crown was a mix of young talent and veteran skill. Two rookies in Shotzi and Ily, showed they aren't phased by the biggest stages. Shotzi even took down the League MVP award as a rookie. The team also boasted Huke, a longtime veteran of MV even prior to the Empire. Huke has played on the team since 2017 and just won his first world championships. The final two spots were made up of two bona fide legends, Crimsix 6 and Clayster. Both had previously won two world championships and with this ring, they both joined Karma as the only three-time world champions in Call of Duty history. These are guys who have been used to success and have played for many of the most popular teams in all of Call of Duty, which is what makes this next part so difficult. Less than 24 hours after the Empire were crowned champions, Activision Blizzard released details about the upcoming season of Call of Duty Esports. But to properly explain how that decision affected the current esports scene, we need to roll back the clock to a year ago, right when the CWL was becoming the CDL. Call of Duty Esports has almost always been 4v4, that's just how the game worked. When the CDL was announced and an open ecosystem was replaced by 12 franchise teams who all paid massive buy-ins to be in spots, the amount of professional Call of Duty players at the highest level shrank but the CDL went to 5v5, meaning an extra 12 players were able to compete in the league. Well, after the Empire won with a stellar 5-man roster, Activision Blizzard announced they were reverting back to 4v4. Now this wasn't just Activision Blizzard, this was a decision that both team owners and players had previously asked for, and when it went up to a vote, team owners voted to revert back to 4v4. But of course, nothing is unanimous. But for all the teams, it had to be the hardest for the Empire they decided to release Clayster, making the now three-time champion a free agent. Hastro, who recently moved to a role as Chief Gaming Officer from his longtime role as CEO, apologized for having to do it, but he was of course put in an absurdly difficult spot. You have to drop one of the guys. To make matters worse, the CDL, who is rumored to be expanding after this year, has stayed set at 12 teams, meaning no more jobs are going to be opened up. The OWL, Activision Blizzard's sister franchise league, expanded from 12 teams to 20 between years 1 and 2, although they didn't have a pandemic to deal with. With the CDL not expanding, suddenly 12 pros are out without new teams to join. Clay should be fine, he's a 3-time champ, a true vet, and a defending champ, but many pros will end up out of the league. Not to mention top players in the minor league who are hoping to jump up a level after the season. They'll suddenly have to compete for much fewer spots. I'm having one of those players, who goes by the name Gunsey on the podcast this coming Friday to talk about the decision to move to 4 v 4 from 5-v5 in a year without expansion. But right now, we have this conversation with Adam. The new NBCEO has already experienced the absurdly high highs and the low lows of being in charge of an esports organization. In the show, you can hear how excited he is for Chance, before he moved into a conversation about the change in media that brought Adam to the organization and his plans for the storied esports org. Without further monologuing, here's the show with Adam Reimer, the Gaming's new CEO, which again, recorded last Thursday before Champs and the changes to the CDL. Hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome into another episode of the Esports Network Podcast in partnership with Reuters. As always, I'm your host, Mitch Dreams, and today we're talking to Adam Reimer. He's the new CEO of Envy Gaming, one of the longest-running esports organizations. The org started as Team Envious and is involved into a multi-esport behemoth located in Dallas, Texas. Longtime owner and CEO, Hastro, has stepped over to a role as Chief Gaming Officer, overseeing the organization's competitive teams. Adam Reimer takes over as CEO. Adam, thanks for joining the show.
1: Thanks. It's great to be here. Excited about it.
0: Me too. It's really fun to talk with Adam. He's joining Envy with nearly two decades of leadership in media industries, including film, television, digital marketing, music, and gaming, of course. He's a graduate of Harvard University in the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Adam will oversee business initiatives for the company as it expands its core offering in esports and diversifies with greater emphasis on digital media, merchandising, and content creation. Previously, Adam served in executive leadership roles at Legendary Entertainment, Nerdist Industries, and Universal Pictures. He co-founded, led initial funding, and managed as partner and executive producer in an award-win- award-winning film production company. Before we get into a discussion on media and where you hope to guide NB Gaming, I have to say Congratulations. Team Envy started as a Call of Duty team, and you're carrying that tradition through this first year of the CDL with the Dallas Empire making the semifinals of champs this weekend. We are recording before the weekend, but publishing after. So I have to say good luck, and hopefully when people are listening to this, the Empire champs. From your perspective, what's the energy like at the organization right now?
1: Man, it's, it's, uh, I can't even tell you. It's what a time to be coming into an organization, right? Coming on, on the, the, uh, the success that we've had. And we'll, we'll know, you know, by the time you hear this, you'll know what happened. But, uh, it's, it's great, man. It's, uh, obviously we still don't have a lot of people coming into the office right now due to the, due to the pandemic. But everybody that's here is pretty fired up and, and we're, we're trying to keep it low pro right now. Everybody's, uh, doing their work, keeping their heads down. We know it's coming. Um, and, uh, but, you know, Come this weekend, it's going to be pretty exciting.
0: It absolutely will be. Call of Duty's has always been one of my favorite podcasts. We've had quite a few Call of Duty guests coming on uh, this August. We had Mac from the New York Subliners. We had Brett Diamond from the Minnesota Rocker. <laughs> and now we have you. And you know what? I got to say, Adam, I'm not supposed to be a biased journalist, but I'm kind of <laughs> rooting for Envy. I just like the history aspect there. I think it'd be great for... One of the old, the, the long-standing organizations in Call of Duty to pull home the first CDL champion.
1: That makes two of us. You know, I know hastra has got a got a long legacy there. And I know he's putting his his sweat equity into into, you know, getting the team where it needs to be for this weekend. So, uh, you know, wish us luck.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, just making it to the semifinals is a massive accomplishment, but I know Hasjo is not settled with just that. He wants <laughs> the ring, no For doubt sure. about it. So I want to talk, we're we're really talking about media and entertainment here. We're in this really interesting age of the esports organization as we see more and more diversification, different organizations getting into all these other realms, be that bringing on athlete and celebrity investors, be that uh, expanding into streetwear and merchandising lines. You've said gaming is the most exciting area in media and entertainment right now. Why do you think that is?
1: Well, to me, the, the biggest thing about it is is we get to set our own future, right? There's no legacy of how gaming content, gaming media has to work. So we can do it any way we want to. You look at the music industry and it's and it's based on deals and structures that were formed over a hundred years ago. You look at film and television and you have a lot of the same things. You know, esports is such a new industry that we really have a, a completely blank slate in front of us in terms of what we could do or what we can try to do. And it it's one of the things that I, that I think about all the time is the fact that, you know, in in our space, the the creators of this space, right, the first people who made video games are pretty much still alive. You can go talk to them. You can go have a conversation with those guys, right? You can't go talk to the guys that invented the television or radio. Um, <laughs> you know, this is this is that's how new this is and how much growth there still there still is in front of us.
0: Definitely, yeah. I was just reading a book about the creation of NBA Jam, one of my all time <laughs> favorite, great. Just <laughs> one of those games that was like. When you think back on it and and you examine in history, a precursor of modern esports and the, and the arcade and the way this created this industry we have today. And I thought it was super cool getting all the different people's perspectives. And they're like 50. Like they, these are the people who created one of the <laughs> earliest, most renowned games. And they're like, yeah, you know, I'm still still working in gaming. And I, I think that is really cool about the industry for sure.
1: Although that game had one of the worst catch-up mechanisms ever, right? <laughs>
0: it was so bad. It was so bad. But the Ducks, they fixed it in the emulator version. You know, I might be giving away my age a little bit, but that was the one I played mostly, not the arcades, unfortunately. I absolutely think that esports and gaming is in this really cool area because there's so much media, there's so much content creation to be seen. And, you know, especially the pandemic, I don't ever like to talk about profiting or getting better off the pandemic. This has been a horrible situation for everybody. Sure. Uh, At the same time, it's really examined a lot of the ways we consume content and you've seen gaming platforms explode a lot. What are the values as you've worked in your past when you worked for companies like Universal with Legendary with Nerdist, uh, you've explored these gaming platforms like Twitch and YouTube. What are the values of those platforms when compared to maybe some of the traditional broadcast channels that people would use in the past?
1: Yeah, I, look, I, it's it's pretty interesting. You know, while I was at Nerdist, we we built a a Twitch channel. Uh, mostly, the biggest one we had was with Geek and Sundry, right, where we helped launch Critical Role and and did a lot of other interactive type shows. And you know, it was a real eye opening experience because we were launching that channel pretty in the pretty much in the early days of Twitch. Once it once it started to gain some real popularity, and seeing how you can interact with your fans seeing how you can interact with an audience seeing how you can get feedback from them on a real-time basis and and make them part of the show uh just eye-opening right and and gaming obviously fits completely into that it is it is interactive so you know to me these platforms are are just the next generation of telling a new story um and we've got to figure out new types of content new formats for those platforms and, and you can with them, you know, there, there's only one way to really have a TV show. It's not interactive. It's linear. It's a certain amount of time, somewhere between 22 and, you know, 48 minutes for, for a TV show. Um, that's really all you can do with it. People have tried to do second screen things and um, they've tried to, you know, have voting abilities in, in some shows. But the reality is this is a completely new platform and it's not television. It's not film. It's not music. It's its own thing. And we're starting to figure out how to leverage those platforms to create new types of interactivity and new formats. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of eye opening when you start to think about how the audience can be part of those shows uh, in terms of what you can create. And, and what I'm excited about is finding those people who can work with us on creating those new types of shows and work with gaming and work with, uh, you know, what we're creating here to provide something completely new to the audience. Absolutely.
0: I find myself really missing the audience engagement as sports have come back. I've been watching, uh, you know, some NBA, Now the NBA is on hiatus again, but, uh, watching a lot of sports and I find myself really missing the chat. So that's led to me opening up Reddit, finding the game thread on rNBA, and then like constantly refreshing just because <laughs> Be <I>, careful. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not great. It's not great. Uh, <laughs> but Twitch chat is not always a perfect uh, fair, fair, fair <laughs> perfect place either. <laughs> but there is more moderation at the very least. There are some more <laughs> rules and, and things there. And I just think that's a missed opportunity for broadcast TV. You, know, you mentioned how a lot of places are trying to do second screen. It's just imperfect exercise. And that's something that Twitch has. And it's a really fantastic thing. Now, I was really mad at Twitch when I was watching the early round of CDL champs. And they decided to just throw scores in the chat. <laughs> like crazy after they had a little bit of leak on the first round, which was just an unfortunate situation all around. But uh, that's one of the dangers of having the live audience participation there. If anything, if any potential hiccup goes wrong, and as we play all these matches online, there's going to be some hiccups. That's just inevitable. Chat's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to spoil this for everybody because, ha, I'm edgy, sure. I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, I agree. Look, I, it's, it's, but it, look, it's a fun new way to watch things. You know, it's, it's the same reason why people go to sports bars, the same reason they go to the movies. Like it's, it's doing things together or having other people and knowing that you're not alone in what you're doing is, is compelling. And yeah, there's always going to be people who kind of ruin it for everybody and, and we'll get better at dealing with those things over time. Uh, but I don't think you're this genie's out of the bottle, right? There's no, there's no taking this back.
0: Yeah, once you become accustomed to having that live chat when you watch competitive events, what when you have that built in community, it's really hard when you take it away and you're watching games of like, wait, why do I why do I care so much about this? Being excited with other people is the source of so much of that excitement.
1: Sure. And look, you know, I think what'll happen is you'll start to see ways of filtering those things in a different way. Right. So as more and more people are doing it, as more of your friends are doing it, you'll be able to reduce those chats to people that you have some kind of connection with, right? Just like On on Facebook or LinkedIn, you can see people who are friends of friends, and uh, it's not really too far thinking that soon you're going to be able to be in these chats, and it's just people you know or people your friends know.
0: Right. I've got all the different group chats. I feel like I I have a high school chat that's about four (laughs) of us, but then we're also in a group of 10 of us, then we're also in a group of 25 of us. They all serve... Completely different purposes, where there's like the very niche inside jokes we have, and the wider discussion with people from our like hometown and stuff like that. And I'm excited for that. I haven't actually really thought about how you could possibly make communities smaller like that. As we look towards the future, what are some things like that that you're really excited for? Some new innovation, new things on the horizon. And I talked to you for the Esports Insider article about a month ago at this point. You mentioned how we've really just scratched the surface of what you could possibly do in the esports and gaming. And I feel like that's a great example. What are some other things you're really excited about looking forward to in the future?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about being able to, to create content with with our fans and with our community and have, have that be easier, right? I mean, right now, online tournament platforms are pretty complex. Um, there's a lot of steps you have to go through to to play games with each other. Um, I'm really looking forward to that getting easier and simpler and being able to do more things with Envy and with our with our streamers and with our players to to kind of bring people into the fold. Um, I also think there's a lot of ways that fans are going to be able to participate in in the outcomes of of games, right? I think we're going to start to see games where audience feedback actually plays a a part of the game. The same way that you know when you're when you're at a stadium. And and you're you're the home team and all your fans are screaming their their brains out when the opposing team's on the field. There's nothing like that right now, really, in esports. And I think we're gonna start seeing new features, new functions where you can start having things like like home field advantage, right, where you can start having the fifth man or sixth man, or you can uh, you know those kinds of things get exciting. And I I think that's uh, going to be happening in esports somewhere down the road um, some people will probably think that's not pure that's not you know the ideal way but that's that's you know that's how it works with sports changes get made and and fans get more engaged and more involved um, and some people don't like it because it's not the the purest version which is okay right everybody's going to have their their own thing that they like to watch
0: yeah, there used to be a controversy with some of that home field advantage when uh, when Optic Gaming would play back in the CWL and fans would yell out player locations and they'd yell it so loud <laughs> that the players on the stage would actually be able to, through their headphones, start hearing some of the locations. I remember there was like, are we going to put them in like soundproof boxes? How are we going to deal with this? And, you know, I it's. It's a conversation that was tabled in online play, obviously, but it might be something that comes back, especially as uh, the franchise leagues move back to their home series formats and people continue to... You know, try and support their team whatever way possible. And while in traditional sports, that means yelling while they have the ball. In esports, that's trying to yell out locations and and give the (laughs) players some sort of possible clue. So I'm actually a supporter of it as long as it's fair. When the CWL is a little problem because it was mostly just Optic and Envy, I think, had enough fans to really move the needle on that as well. (laughs) Uh, But it's you need to have a more fair series. And if everyone has their home advantage, then I suppose that's fair. You know, some teams are never going to have the fan support looking at you, Los Angeles chargers, but uh that's just how it goes. sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, that's, that's sports. I mean, if that, if there wasn't every sport that's played live, right in stadiums has some ability for fans to have, have a say in what's going on. Right. I mean, go back to baseball 80 years ago, you still had people yelling at the pitchers and yelling at the batters and, you know, that's that's part of the game, and, and uh, it lets the fans feel more connected. And that's what, if you think about it, esports should have more of that than almost any other sport has.
0: Absolutely. We love our banner. Yeah, if you think about the classic like baseball things, they even sound super old. We want a pitcher, <laughs> not a belly itcher. It's like, who's who came up with that? That was absolutely somebody in like 1908 who was like, ah, oh, I got him right now. This is a great one. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's something i've always loved about sports and i think there's there's a level of we should be incorporating the fans and making sure fans are passionate about that and that's actually something i want to talk with you here is building up that fan base passion sports have had Legacy upon legacy to build upon. You know, my grandma was a St. Louis Cardinals fan, so my dad was a St. Louis Cardinals mm-hmm. fan, so I was a St. Louis Cardinals fan. It's a luxury that esports does not have. People aren't really grandfathered in, and maybe we're seeing this first generation now of of kids who their dad or their mom was a fan uh, for a long time of an esports organization like MB that started in the last decade. But it's not a luxury that esports has. As you enter into into envy how are you making sure you're building the storylines to bring fans in and create a through line to keep fans as fans of envy uh, across all esports and for a long duration of time
1: yeah it's it's about it's about maintaining that relationship giving people reasons to be fans uh, which you know look winning is obviously a big part of it if you can keep winning people come on and and find out about you and start to follow you and, th- and that's great um and and you know, creating opportunities for for people to engage and, and stay engaged and being true to what you represent over a long period of time, right? That's how that's how institutions gain gain real value and how you gain fans, right? The Cowboys have kind of been the Cowboys for years and years and years, regardless of what players come and what players go. There's still a uh, kind of a, a brand identity around what the Cowboys are, and that's true of a lot of a lot of professional teams. But they've got, like you said, a, a history of doing that. Um, we are starting to have that um, when you think about again, I've talked about how early we are into this this evolution of of esports right when when I started playing games and, and I'm, I'm a little bit older, but I had an Atari 2600 and, and you know, for, for us as gamers, it was like, oh, that's something for 10 year olds. Right. And then and then it, we all got a little bit older and I was playing Doom in college and it's like, oh, you know, it's really just teenagers that are that are playing games. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm playing, I'm playing Warcraft with a bunch of folks who have kids and have to take breaks from the raid to put their kids to bed. And you know, it's, it's a generational shift, right? So yeah, it's still now that you've got 10 year olds all the way up to 50 year olds that are playing games and they're, they're building the same legacy that, you know, you had with your folks and, and we're just starting to see teams that are really have regional uh, awareness that have legacy, that have multiple years of competing in certain leagues. Um, So, so we're going to start to see that next generation of people following teams. And we're going to start to see players who have retired from the sport becoming, you know, commentators and, and being involved in the industry and maybe being owners of teams. And that's the kind of way that, that you start to build a history and a legacy of, of, keeping the fans engaged and building a real definition around your brand, right? Like, like Gretzky owning an NHL team, right? We, we don't really have that right now in, in esports just yet. We've got players who have been players that own teams because it's the same team that they helped start 15 years ago. Um, but we haven't taken it to that next phase yet.
0: Yeah. There's, there's just a level of adoption there that that comes with, with time. And that's just simply, there's no real way of, of forcing the fan adoption. It comes with opportunities, for sure, uh, but legacy, and history and consistency. And then, to, use, to your point, the teams that have that legacy, the Cowboys, uh, the Lakers, the the Yankees, they did it because they won. That's yep. that's all you got to do. <laughs> Just win. Easy, easy. Yeah, easy, <laughs> easy enough. It all starts with CDL Champs this weekend on YouTube Gaming. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a quite interesting... Point to be in for an esports organization. Do you feel like the industry? And I know we have got to wrap up here, so this is gonna be my last question I have for you. Do you feel like the gaming, the the role of the esports organization is evolving a bit? We sort of talked about this up top with all the different aspects that different organizations are getting into. You look at the athletes, the musicians, uh, the actors investing. It's it's just across the board. Do you feel like the role of the esports organization is evolving from these basically grassroots competitive teams into these hubs of digital culture?
1: I, I see that as the evolution today, and I think it's the right one. I think I think when you there's so much room for uh, for innovation in the space that for a team to say that they're just one thing is is probably wrong right? There's, there's too many ways for the industry to grow that if you're smart about your brand and you're smart about your fans and building a community base, you have to be looking at all the different ways that you can reach people with the brand that you're building. Now, just like any other sport, it's going to evolve over time. You know, the, every other professional sport has started off, you know, maybe it was more for entertainment value and then they formed leagues and then they formed championships. And then they, you know, there were all these stages of growth of what, uh, what a sports franchise was, um, that we'll start to see happen here too, right? As the leagues get more, um, more viewership. And as people start to know who the players are, you might see it shift back to really being more just the, the league dynamics of, of, you know, the, the cod league or, or overwatch league. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how that evolution takes place. You know, I I think we're going to be in this this world of continued evolution of what an esports and gaming organization is for at least the next ten years, um, if not if not longer. Um, and I'm pretty excited about it. Right? There's nothing quite as fun as not knowing entirely what's coming, but also having a chance to be part of how it's how it's going to develop.
0: It's what drew me into esports at the first, coming from the traditional sports world of being a massive gamer, just enjoying playing video games. I was like. The esports world is constantly changing, and from a journalist content creation perspective, I would way rather be in a world that could change on a dime, where things happen, uh, leagues are created. The CDL is in its first year. The Overwatch leagues in its third. Valorant comes out. Now everybody's got a Valorant team. A team signed a Fall Guys team a few weeks <laughs> ago. Like, <laughs> and. From content creation perspective it's just really cool to be in a space that constantly changes like that and i feel like based on your your answers that's uh similar to how you see it as well coming from these traditional worlds coming into a world like this that the only constant is evolution and change at this point
1: absolutely and and what makes it most exciting is that is that the audience often is, is has a lot to say about where you go right look at the nfl and look at at fantasy football Right. Look at daily fantasy sports. You know, who would have thought that, you know, 15 years ago, looking at these leagues, that that would be such a major piece of what they do. And and why is it? It's because of the fans and how excited they get because of the internal competitions that they've got with their friends or or, you know, daily fantasy or whatever it might be. And you don't think that that's had, a, had an impact on, on how those leagues show their stats or engage with their fans or do other things. It absolutely has. Um, And in our world, it actually gets to be much more integrated into the games and the teams and the organizations. Um, So, you know, it's it's moving a mile a minute. Uh, I'm still, you know, getting myself fully up to speed on everything that's that's been done and and can be done today, as well as figuring out what we can do tomorrow. So it's been it's been great. And I think it's going to continue to be pretty exciting.
0: Fantastic. I wish you the most success. You just reminded me I have to prepare for my fantasy draft. We got that coming up. It's the whole sports world. You used to be able to set your clock by by the sports calendar and now it's everything's off. Everything's different. So Yeah, the,
1: the lack of a preseason has really kind of uh put it out of out of sight, out of mind a little bit, huh?
0: Yeah, definitely. It's uh it's quite interesting how things have been changing and you know it's uh, welcome to the eSports world, traditional sports. This is how this is how we operate. We just change on the fly and you figure it out. It's great.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Awesome. Adam, I'll let you go now. Is there anything you want people to be looking out for? Obviously, watching Team Envy whenever they play matches and unfortunately, hopefully, watching a celebration story uh, next week when this podcast airs, but is there anything else you want people looking out for on the envy side?
1: Yeah, no, I hope so. You know, crossing my fingers for this weekend, but yeah, keep, keep your eyes peeled on this space. We got a lot of things in store, a lot of news to announce over the coming few months. Um, all of which is, is upward and onward and an exciting thing. So, you know, keep your eyes peeled on, on envy. We're a lot of news.
0: Absolutely. Things are changing in the esports world as is constant. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Esports Network podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show.